This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and joining me today is Max Cohen. This is our three keys to victory for Fulham against Leicester City, which is our preview for this upcoming match. We have a lot to talk about in this show, but before I do anything else, I have to welcome my co-host back to the show, Mr. Cohen. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Russ. You know, another big, big match this weekend, and could it be the first away win all season? Who knows? Well, I look forward to talking to you about this. I'm actually feeling pretty good about this, better than uh, I thought I would maybe a week ago, and we'll talk about this during the show. But uh, I'm not feeling down going into this match. I think there's an opportunity here, and we'll talk about that as we go through the show. Before we enter the Cottage Talk roundtable, I just want to mention something that happened over the weekend. I had uh, on Claire Parrish from London Calling Calm on last Saturday, basically to talk about the upcoming walk from Stamford Bridge to Craven Cottage. They did the walk on Sunday, and uh, I'm glad that everyone was able to do this walk. It's for a very good cause. Calm is a very good charity. So congratulations to everyone that was involved and did this walk. However, there's been an issue. And the issue happened at Stamford Bridge. The members of London Calling Calm wanted to take a photo with their flag. It was a foam flag. And security at Stamford Bridge gave them a hard time to do this. And again, I don't understand why security would give a charity, people walking for a charity, a hard time just because they wanted to take a photo with a foam flag. It's ridiculous, Max. And what's even worse about this is that I thought by this time that Chelsea Football Club would respond to this. Many people have tweeted to their Twitter account about this, and there's been no response to their security, giving a hard time to people that are walking for a really good cause. And I just had to get that off my chest because I'm very upset about this. 
my friend Claire and everyone associated with Lee did not deserve this. They simply wanted to take a photo. So, again, Chelsea, do the right thing and apologize for this. Please apologize for this. Max, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, it's everything you said is just completely right. I think it's it's disgraceful, really. You have people out there working for a great cause to address the, the men's mental health issues, you know, in, in Britain and really across the world. And they're not met with, you know, a welcoming stance. They're met with, you know, a, a cold shoulder from security. And, and, and the reasoning itself, I think Chelsea will probably say, I mean, if they do respond, which I doubt they will at this point, which is in of itself a disgrace, they're going to say, oh, it's probably outside security. There are, there are contractors. We don't necessarily deal with them. Right. But I mean, the fact of the matter is the reason they said they couldn't take the picture is because it was a phone flag. And they said they didn't want to incite the Chelsea fans. Well, as many people, and right. you had too, have rightly noted, the Chelsea fans were at Craven Cottage that day. This is outside right. Stanford Bridge. And it's young people. I mean, children, women, men, all for charity. This isn't got a hooligan <laughs> organization. This is, a, this is a charity organization with a fallen flag. And if security has such you know, a one-dimensional view of what constitutes uh, – you know, an incitement of violence, then, then that's just worrying of, in and of itself as well as what their training has taught them to not evaluate each case on a different basis. It's, it's baffling. And, and the, the way security has stepped in here, it's, it's not what anyone deserves. It's, it's, it's certainly not befitting um, of a Premier League club. But, I mean, Chelsea, we know they have problems with, with their own fan base, uh, with racism, anti-Semitism. Yep. We've seen that in the past. Um, you know, how they treated that Paris Saint-Germain supporter recently shoving him, him off the Metro, their chance, you know, using the Y word. And of course, just the history of the club. I mean, many people said, you know, I've stopped going to Chelsea in, in the 80s, 70s, whatever, because they were fundamentally racist. So, but that we've you've seen, it, as, as you mentioned, Russ, the club itself, the, the administration, the management trying to combat that. Right. You're playing a game in Boston, right? As you're going to go yeah, to the summer. I'm here and revolution. I'm going to this match. Yeah to deal with the issue of anti-Semitism, which is great. I'm glad that they're doing this in association with the New England Revolution. It's fantastic that Chelsea are taking this stance and they're coming over here for this match. That's all wonderful stuff. But this does not excuse what happened on Sunday to a group of Fulham supporters who are walking for a very good cause, London Calling Con. Exactly, and that's what's frustrating because it seems almost – as the club is making strides to address, you know, their negative history and, and the negative elements of their fan base. But when security does something like this, it's really hard to make excuses for them. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, the one thing I have to do is just, I say, I, I feel sorry um, for, for, for Claire and everyone to have to witness that kind of abuse, because when you're trying to do something for charity, for a good cause, a very sensitive cause, the last thing you want to do is to be harassed and told you can't take a photo just because you have a foam logo. I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. It is, and uh, if you go to Claire's Twitter account, you'll see her tweet. The reason that they were given was that it may upset the Chelsea fans. That's yeah, the I mean, reason behind yeah. it. And one thing that's coming to my mind now is, obviously it's not the exact same situation, but remember when the West Ham fans were raising money uh, for the young girl with cancer outside Craven Cottage, and they were initially told, oh, you can't do it before the West Ham match um, back earlier this year. What Fulham did after massive fan uproar you know, this, the club got in touch and said, listen, you can raise money outside the ground. That'll be okay. And, and we initially had a very strict policy. and We changed the policy because of fan social media uproar. 
it's very easy to address these type of things. Yeah. All the club has to do is issue a statement or issue an apology. Chelsea, right. it's not rocket science. How hard is it to say, listen, our security was wrong. We wholeheartedly apologize and maybe throw in a donation to Calm because that's what that's what's right. Yeah. But while they're doing now, their silence is deafening. And that's the worst part of it because it's, it's an issue that probably could be very easily addressed. Issue an apology. It's not going to be a big gesture. All they have to do is very simply say, we're sorry, we're in the wrong here. But the fact that it's dragged on almost a week with them saying absolutely nothing, nothing. that's almost worse than initial offense. It's um, very unfortunate. And um, I got a message from Claire, and she mentioned that uh, a nice person from the uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust contacted her, and, and that's great. But still, no word from Chelsea Football Club. No word yet. Nothing. No response. So that's what's needed to be done. It hasn't been done, and it's very unfortunate. And uh, I wanted to talk about it on this show because uh, I'm just stunned by it. Anyways, enough talking about what's going on with Chelsea Football Club. They can do their thing, and we can do our thing, my friend. Let's move on. Let's get into the Cottage Talk Roundtable. I've got several topics for you, and we're going to talk about a few of your articles. So let's start here. You haven't posted this yet by the time we're recording it, but I want to get your thoughts. You're going to be posting an article about this person. Thoughts on Matt Wells being added to the backroom staff of Fulham Football Club? Yeah, it's an, it's an excellent addition. Um, and for those who don't know, Matt Wells uh, was formerly the Tottenham under-18s coach, which was exactly the same position that Scott Parker held before he left to be Slavisia Kanovich's uh, first-team coach at Fulham. And now Matt Wells is taking over as first-team coach at Fulham, and Parker is the manager. So it's a funny kind of symmetry here. Um, and, and I noted that this is the second time in the past two years Fulham have basically nicked Spurs' under-18s coach. And, and that's no small feat because uh, the Spurs Academy team in this age group is excellent, quite frankly. You know, Matt Wells had, has currently guided uh, the side to second place in the under-18s table. They're one point, oh, sorry, one place behind Arsenal with a game in hand. So this is, quite frankly, one of, one of the best, if not the best under-18 side yeah. in England. And the fact that we've got this young, uh, very, I think he's also under 40, just like Parker, very young, bright, promising English manager to work at Fulham. Scott Parker has spoken very highly of him uh, in his pre-match presser. He said, uh, and this is a quote, he'll be a massive addition. And he's worked with him. He's been impressed by him. Right. So it, it shows that Parker is bringing the best. It shows in that, that Tottenham have kind of been, uh, if they're not going to promote their coaches to higher positions, other clubs will take advantage of that. And it's very exciting to have another good young English manager at the club. It is. And, uh, when I saw this and, and really started to learn a little bit about Matt Wells, I thought, wow, this is a really nice addition for Scott Parker, have this member of his staff, someone that he's already worked with and an up-and-coming coach. I think this is only a positive for Fulham. So I, I'm definitely glad that uh, we could talk about that. And like I mentioned, Max will have an article on this mattering on when you listen to this episode. It, it could be up by the time you're listening to it, but Max will have an article on the boot room about Matt Wells. All right, my friend, let's move on. Let's talk about one of your articles that was up a little while ago, but it's actually a very good article. I want to talk to you about this. And we've been talking about this on Cottage Talk, talking about how the media treats Fulham, because I I think so many of them get it wrong. They don't understand what's going on with Fulham. You wrote an article, and it is entitled, On the Boat Room, Why Ian Holloway's Take on Fulham's Struggles reveals the ignorance of the media. 
Let's talk about this, my friend. Your thoughts on your, on your article and on the situation with the media. Yeah, for sure, because it just got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. Because you'd go on Twitter, you'd open up Sky Sports, Talk Sport, BBC, you know, you name it, any, any major publication, and you'd read an, essentially the same wrong analysis from so-called pundits, ex-football men, and this particular one focused on Ian Holloway, who I don't know why he's talking. Honestly, he's absolutely no credibility. A really failed manager, ex-manager of QPR most recently, and that really says all you need to know. But essentially he said Fulham went up. They spent 100 million pounds. They ruined the core of the promotion-winning squad. You know, players who are on the promotion wages, look at the players who were brought in the summer, and it caused, you know, uh, tumult and, 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 and uh, divisions in the dressing room. And basically Fulham threw money at the problem, and they ruined the promotion-winning core, which is essentially a rehashing of the same argument that a lot of pundits say all the time about Fulham, saying, listen, look at clubs who've come up from the championship. They kept their team together. Why Fulham suddenly turned a cold shoulder to the people who got them here? That's, that's such a terrible disgrace. And I basically go in depth in this article in analyzing why this is a fallacy, why it's just a wrong analysis, because basically yeah. I, I, I didn't realize how bad it was, honestly, Russ, because I went right into the squad that took us up. You go yeah. into the 26th of May, the one to one of Villa at Wembley in the playoff final, and you look at who's not there anymore. And yeah. essentially, we lost – Seven, seven players. I mean, Mitro came back. Um, so it would have been eight without Mitro, right? Right. Who either return to their parent clubs or, or who get sold. So from the standpoint of where we were directly after that match, when the players who were on loan return to their parent clubs, and then we sell Frederick, we sell Button, it's a bare bones team. Essentially, we have one goalkeeper. It's Bednelli. We have Riemann Adoy. I mean, those are really only center backs at the moment. Kalas goes back. Both are starting fullbacks, which for me and for many is the most important thing about this team. Um, that's that we lost. Those are the biggest losses. Fredrickson target, gone. They don't return. In the midfield, the midfield three is the one constant, and that's Karen Johansson and McDonald, right? Right. But then up top, you lose Mitrovic. You lose Piazone. Norwood's gone as well. Um, Rui Font is basically our only center forward. We have Kamara, Aite, Cabano, Sesimion. That's about it. I mean, you can count Ibrahim Asisa, he barely played. But that's about it. It is such a weak squad at this point in time. So it leads to the point in time where you, we needed to spend money in the summer. Yep. We needed to spend £100 million. And the fact of the matter is, it was the wrong players, not the wrong investment. And the, same, and the thing that has been the most angry is that if we hadn't spent money in the summer, if we basically kept that of 11 players we had left, the media would have said, what is this? This is a complete lack of ambition. I know. More, small club they can't time. win. They can't win. This club's going to get relegated immediately. What are they doing? <laughs> and when you spend money, someone's, oh, they're ruining the game. They're throwing away the promotioning squad. And then that's the point I also sees on, which is, oh, they're throwing away the people who got them here. I honestly think that's the stupidest argument because look at who's played this season. Reem and Adoy have played 44 combined matches, right? Um, 40, 46, honestly, because I wrote that before the Chelsea game. They've played in so many of our matches. These are players who are, I mean, Odoi was even second choice in the championship. Yep. How can you say you've discarded a promotion-winning team when this team's out there all the time? I mean, if you think about the opportunities that Florida Yite has gotten, he 
was an intent, he was a he was a good part of our championship winning team, but he was not a week in week out starter. Cyrus Christie is the biggest one. He was back up in the championship, and they were starting basically week in week out. Uh, essentially, in the in the Premier League, he started more. He started over twenty matches, and then you have the likes of the midfield three, right? Kennedy, McDonald, Johansson. They haven't got as many opportunities together as I think some would have liked. But I'm going to point to the Cardiff City match. It's the one match I analyze because that's really when Yukanovich went back to the team that got us up as close as he could, basically. Right. And that day, it was McDonald, Johansson starting midfield. Benelli was in goal. Riemann and Adoy were playing. Mitrich up there. Sessegnon. Aite came off the bench. Basically, that's the core of the promotion winning team, except excluding players who, who left, right? And we got crushed 4-2 that match. We were insipid. We were terrible. It was one of the worst matches of the season. And it showed that when we play our promotion winning players, yeah, most likely they're championship players. Yep. When we returned back to basics about midfield with McDonald and Johansson in that, in that day, it didn't work out. It was terrible. Um, so it's, it's hard to hear people say, you know, why haven't these players been given a chance? Why have they just been so cruelly thrown to the side? When we're giving them a chance and we've played them, and a big part of why our defense has been so poor, I think, is because we have that championship defense. Yep. Lee Madoy and Christie played a lot of matches together, and it hasn't worked out. No. Um, so it, it's frustrating because a lot of people say, oh, Fulham have ruined football. It shows exactly what's wrong with modern football, just throwing money in this year. No, it's not that. We needed the investment. And many times this season, the fact that we've been so poor is because we stuck with the players who got us up, and they've played poorly in the Premier League. What a surprise, right? Right. So, Again, it's, it's it's a very frustrating issue, and it just shows that in the Premier League, one thing that I've, I don't think we'll miss is that the people who get paid to give their analysis don't do their homework. They focus on the big clubs, and when a phone comes up, Russ, they don't really know what they're talking about. No, they don't, and it's very frustrating. And I pointed to some really good articles. I'm glad that you wrote this. Ryan O'Donovan wrote a very good article breaking down what has gone wrong with Fulham. He actually mentioned – all the different things with recruitment, with Fulham building a team in the championship, mostly on loan, and how then you have to replenish losing some or most of those players. There are several reasons why Fulham are in the spot that they're in. and But I will say the biggest reason for me is, unfortunately, Fulham not getting the right players, not getting it right. But it wasn't from a lack of trying. It just didn't work. And that's what you wrote. It really comes down to the wrong players. There are other factors, but to just come up with the championship side and go for it the way that Cardiff did, it would not have worked. And um, some of these players are getting found out, unfortunately, that they're championship players and not Premier League players. Stefan Johansson comes to mind. I think there's a reason why he's not with the club anymore. He's out on loan. You know, listen, I love Kevin McDonald. I know he played well against Chelsea, but each and every week. I don't know if he's good enough to play in the Premier League. I know he's good enough to play in the championship. I hope he helps Fulham in these last nine matches. I think he should be involved. But I think overall, he's not quite at that level. And then, of course, you have the championship defense, Max, and that's just the way it is. And for pundits not to understand that, I get why they don't understand it because they don't follow it. We follow it. We know better. And I'm glad that you wrote that, my friend. All right. Let's move on. Let me get your thoughts on Brendan Rodgers 
becoming the new manager of Leicester City. I'm curious your thoughts on this on a couple levels. One, do you think he's going to help them? Do you think he's the right hire? And also, do you think he should have taken the job and left Celtic the way he did? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think he should have taken the job. I think it's wrong. That's just my thoughts on that. It, it has certainly dominated, you know, the football media. Because I was listening to a segment uh, yesterday um, on the radio about a, a football radio show, and they were saying, we talk all the time about how players need to be loyal. And when players, you know, leave a club that they've been at for a while, it's yep. a disgrace. And, and look what Brendan Rodgers has done. A manager who's under contract leaves in the middle of the season, saying players it would be a burden for a player to do that. They basically couldn't under a contract. And just, and, and just ditches Celtics uh, run for a treble. So it's kind of hypocrisy. I'm, I'm sure Brendan Rodgers has said in his career, when a player's left his club, oh, it's, it's sad they're not loyal. And he's just a ship in the middle of the season. So on that level, um, it's it's amusing. But I don't have an issue with it, honestly, Russ, because you know why? It, it's, why? it's a Scottish league. Yeah, I mean, yes, Celtic is, is, is one of the best teams, the best team this year. I mean, Rangers are giving them a good go. But the point is, he's going for a treble two years in a row. Is that a big achievement? Of course it is. But it's very, very far from a quality European league. And any manager in the world would jump at the opportunity to work in the Premier League. Simple as that, especially in a club that I think has such a good infrastructure as Leicester, you know, who only won the Premier League, you know, three seasons ago. I think anyone would love to work at that club. And I know Brendan Rodgers because his ego and who he is, he's been chomping at the bit to return to England, I'm sure, ever okay. since, you know, he got sacked as Liverpool manager. So on that level, I think, listen, it's a no-brainer from a career move standpoint. Will, will, Celtics fans, will Celtic fans be furious? Of course Celtic will be furious about this. But at the end of the day, I think any manager would have made that exact same decision. Um, and, and they'll hate him for it because it shows disloyalty. Yep. In terms of a career move, it makes sense. And will he help Leicester? I, I, I don't know. It, it's tough because he hasn't managed in England for a while. You know, what he did with Liverpool was impressive and almost winning them, winning them the league. But his methods were kind of shown to be a bit, not outdated, but they didn't really work And when he got sacked, you know, months later. I think what he did at Swansea is going to be very comparable to what, he, what he's going to do at Leicester because it's not a massive club, but it's a club that really can be top half, you know, upper top half, maybe challenging for Europe League. And if you can transform a team into his kind of passing attractive brand of football and, and get them playing well, um, maybe not kind of the counterattack they've been used to, a more possession-based attacking style of football, then it might do Leicester City well because they do really some exciting young attacking players. And I can really see Brendan Rodgers working off the likes of, you know, Damari Gray, Harvey Barnes, of course, Vardy's not young, but then combining up there, I think that could be an exciting prospect. James Madison, of course, we know for the championship. Okay, very good there. My thoughts on Rodgers taking the job is that he shouldn't have done it during the season. That's my thoughts on it. I understand that this opportunity might not have happened if he waited until the end of the season, but I just put myself in his shoes, Max. Would I take this? I wouldn't have done it, even though it probably would have helped my career if I was him. I would have waited until the end of the season, given the proper respect to Celtic, and then look for a job. But, you know, again, the opportunity might not have been there, so I understand that argument. But if you're asking me, I wouldn't have taken it, and that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, I mean, you could have waited until the season, sure. Um, But at the end of the day, I don't think he wants to manage in Scotland anymore. I think he wants to get out of there. Because yeah. it, it's just a substandard league. I mean, sure. It, well, I understand it, it, that it, part of it. I mean, it's it's 
it's not a top European league. And, you know, of course, you know, Musa Dembele went up there most recently to Celtic to work under Rodgers. So we have that kind of connection. And that move baffled me at the time, as I'm sure it did you, because yep. we knew Dembele could play in the top flight of England. He plays, he's playing well in the top flight of France. Why move, honestly, a sideways step, if anything, for the championship to the SPL? Yep. doesn't make sense for me. So in that respect, Brendan Rodgers wants to manage at the highest level. He's, he's pursuing his best career option. Good on him, because... If you're going to go, go in the Premier League, that is just the goal for a manager. Okay. Fair enough there, my friend. All right, let's move on. One final topic in the Cottage Talk Roundtable, and this will involve one of your latest articles, and that is entitled, Why Scott Parker's Motivation Claim May Be the Catalyst Full Needs. So talk about your article, my friend. Sure. So basically in the pre-match presser, uh, Parker said something very interesting which was, he said, it's very easy to motivate this group of players, which came as a big shock to me. And I'm sure it came to a big shock for many Fulham fans because I kind of analyzed in the article how a lack of motivation and effort have really killed us this season. Because if you look at the big matches we played against teams around us, you know, think of under Yukanovich, it was Cardiff, it was Huddersfield, right? Um, under Ranieri, it was Burnley, Southampton, Crystal Palace. Big matches where you need players to show up and give their all because it's a relegation six-pointer. We just haven't showed up, right? There's been there's been no fight in, in all the matches I mentioned. We just kind of wilted. Southampton was the one that's freshest in the memory. Where was there was a motivation in that group of players? That was just, you know, a week and a half ago, right, Russ? Yep. So when Scott Parker comes out here and says, I'm finding it easy to motivate these players, that's very, that's very good news for me. Because it shows that he's getting something out of these players that both Ikanovic and Ranieri couldn't. And it's and it's a big problem with Fulham because if you look at our squad, yes, it's a poor squad. Yes, it's probably not good enough to stay in the Premier League, I'd say. But at the end of the day, we're underperforming based on the quality of players. Our players aren't great, but they're capable of more than what they've been performing, right? So that indicates to me there's a motivation issue, that the players aren't doing 100% because of something the managers aren't saying to them or because of the confidence or whatever. So Parker coming out there and saying, He's finding it easy to motivate the players. Really gives me confidence. Because if he gets the best out of these players, or just better than what they've been in the past couple of weeks, we've already seen that in the Chelsea game. He's gotten more out of them. Then I think, you know, we'll produce better performances and perhaps win some matches, which we have not done uh, since the 29th of January. Okay, excellent there, Max. Please do read Max's articles on the boot room. I highly recommend them. All right, my friend, it's time to really get into our preview Let's start with focusing on Leicester City. I'm going to whoscore.com, and I'm going to share with you what they say about Leicester City in regards to strengths and weaknesses, and I want your thoughts on them, on what that could mean for Fulham. So let's start with strengths. This is what whoscore.com lists as strengths for Leicester City. Very strong at counterattacks, coming back from losing positions, protecting the lead. Strong at creating long shot opportunities, Stealing the ball from the opposition, aerial duels. Let's just start with strengths. Your thoughts on what whoscored.com said about Leicester City. The thing that is probably most dangerous to me as a Fulham fan is kind of winning the ball back, right? Because so many of our goals we've continued this season have been we've been caught in possession or we've made a mistake in defense. Teams steal the ball, they counter quickly and score against us. So I can really see that being an issue for us. You know, if one of our defense kind of dwindles on the ball too long, Leicester, as, as Who Scored says, are very good at getting the ball back, attacking quickly, and scoring. 
that could pose a big problem for us. Okay, very good there, my friend. All right, let's now focus on what is said about Leicester City when it comes to weaknesses. This is what whoscore.com says. Weak, finishing scoring chances, avoiding individual errors, defending against through ball attacks, defending counterattacks, avoiding fouling in dangerous areas. What are your thoughts on that? The counterattack thing kind of jumps out at me because we are playing away. We, this is Scotty Parker's first away match. We don't really know how he's going to set up. So if we do kind of sit back, which in the past Leicester have struggled at for teams who come to their place and sit back, maybe just saw Palace win 4-1 there yeah. um, in Puel's last match, that could be perhaps a good strategy. And if they're poor at defending counterattacks, then maybe we go out there and we play a counterattacking style of play, which did, never really came off under Ranieri, but maybe Parker has what it takes to pull it off the phone. Okay, Max, I think this is a good time to mention uh, what I recently listened to, and it was on the Full Mitch podcast. They actually had on a very interesting guest. His name is Pete Selby, and he is from the For Fox Sake podcast. And what he was suggesting for Fulham was for Fulham to sit back. So you already mentioned that maybe that could potentially be a strategy. So what are your thoughts about a Leicester City supporter saying that, that that could be the way they were talking about the Cardiff City match, and that's how Cardiff City basically got the victory. They frustrated Leicester City. So would you be surprised if uh, Scott Parker does that against uh, Leicester City? You know, I wouldn't be surprised, but at the same time, we just don't have the personnel to sit back, right? See, that's my issue with this. Yeah, you know, we've, we've tried to soak up pressure in almost every possible formation and way. But at the end of the day, when you have slow, weak central defenders, when you don't have very good wing backs, when you have very little defensive cover in midfield, even when we played three defensive midfielders, right, against Southampton, we couldn't sit back and absorb pressure at all. So uh, it it seems tempting, right? Every single away match, you just think to yourself, yeah, we'll just sit back, still go pressure, hit him on the break, and that'll be that. We'll get a 1-0 away, away win, we'll go back home happy. But it just never turns out that way, does it, this season for Fulham? Because we can't defend. Maybe Parker's working wonders in training. Maybe he's doing something to inspire the confidence of our players. But that only goes so far, right? When you don't have the necessary players to defend, to sit back, to absorb pressure, because we showed a complete inability to withstand waves of attack all season long, you know? I mean, that, that just goes to show how little clean sheets we have. That's the same issue. So we just cannot prevent teams from scoring. So... I mean, the Newcastle match is the only match I can think of when he went away and kept a clean sheet. I think it probably is the only match where he did that, right? So we really don't have much hope, I don't think, for going away uh, to Leicester and sitting back. But at the same time, it's, it seems logical based on the way Leicester play. That if we sit back, stifle them, hit them on the counter, which they're weak at, we might get a good result. But the only thing that doesn't jive with that is our own players, which at the end of the day is the most important thing. If you don't have the players to do it, don't pull it off. Well, that's the whole thing. When I heard this, and listen, I want to give uh, the guys of Fulmish uh, a lot of credit. That was actually a very interesting episode. Sammy and the guys deserve credit for doing their uh, their previews. Their previews are excellent, and uh, I thought this guest was excellent. And uh, I understand where he was coming on it, but I, then I kept thinking, Max, can Fulham do what Cardiff can do? And And the answer to me is no, they just don't have the players to do it. So that's why I'm fascinated with how Scott Parker is going to handle this. 
because I don't know if they can potentially just sit back and try just to wait it out and try to just beat someone on the counter. And I don't know if they can do that. So that's why I thought it was, I, I thought I would mention that. And again, shout out to the guys from the Fulmish podcast and also Pete Selby from for Fox sake podcast, really good stuff. And I would definitely recommend listening to that episode of the, the Fulmish podcast. Okay, Max, let's move on here, my friend. Let's get a little bit further into this. And, um, Let's talk about the last time these teams played. I'm curious. I thought Fulham played very well, and I thought Fulham maybe should have gotten more out of it than they did. What are your thoughts about the first matchup between Leicester City and Fulham at Craven Cottage? It was in that weird kind of spell when we were very optimistic about Ranieri. It was towards the beginning, and we thought, listen, this is when the tide kind of turns because it was, I thought it was a very excellent performance. I remember that first half onslaught, and that's the only way to describe it, is that we were just all over Leicester in that first half. And finally, at the end of the, at, at the, end of the half, Kamara gets that great goal. So we, we kind of show that same dynamic, quick, penetrative attacking play that we saw, you know, in the Southampton win um, in, in this match. But then, as so often happened under Ranieri, we kind of faded late in the match. We took the lead, but we couldn't hold it. And it was you kind of felt inevitable. You, I think the goal came around 15 minutes from time that they were going to get a goal back. And in the end, they did, and, and it was frustrating because we couldn't hold the lead. We probably should have scored more than one goal, honestly. Kind of the two um, twin concerns of, any, of the Ranieri era was that we couldn't hold our lead, and then we couldn't really take our chances when we had good spells of play. We never really capitalized. And that kind of summed up that match for me. And then, I don't know if you recall this, but right towards the end, Adoy was through. It was a bouncing ball. He could have squared it to Mitro, who would have had a tap in, but he just kind of puts yep. it over the bar. I mean, just imagine if that ball goes in for in, in some manner and we win that match. Yep. What that does to our season, um, you know, that could have been a very, very could have been a very different conversation we're having right now if we get more of those wins in that kind of uh, towards the end of twenty eighteen, um, rather than being here uh, destined for relegation. Okay, excellent there, Max. All right, let's talk about key players for Leicester City that concern you and. Let me just um, mention this. The last match and Brendan Rodgers' first match is that they play three at the back. So keep that in mind. I don't know if that's what they will go in with this upcoming match. Possibly. But, you know, again, that's what's interesting about this match. This is the huge unknown because you have two managers that are in their second match. So I don't think either side can really get a true read on what to expect from the opponent. But I will mention that, like I said in the last match, I'm looking at whoscored.com. They listed as a 3-4-2-1. So for you, what players most concern you for Leicester City? I mean, right off the bat, it's going to be the obvious one. It's going to be Jamie Vardy. He scored in the weekend against Watford. He's just such a danger. And, and you know, he's a live wire. He gets behind their defense, especially with slow center backs, you know, like we have. I yep. really can see Vardy, you know, wreaking havoc. Um, so that's going to be worrying. And he's such a good natural finisher. You know how Iguain had multiple chances this weekend to put us to bed. Vardy's going to get in similar positions. He's going to be pacier. And he's not going to miss like Iguain did. But Iguain's goal, that little movement off the cross, Vardy is also so good at those small movements in the box, getting on in on the end of services from wide positions. So the way we defend against Chelsea is a little concerning, and I think Vardy could really take advantage of that. So he's my number one biggest concern. Okay. Very good there, my friend. All right. Let's go to matchups 
which team has the advantage in each one of these matchups. Let's start with Fulham's attack versus Leicester City's defense. Who do you give the advantage to? Has to be Leicester. I mean, you're looking at that back three of the center backs. It's Harry Maguire, Wes Morgan, Johnny Evans. It's basically everything Fulham lack, right? Physical, uh, experienced Premier League defenders. And I would not want to go up against a lineup of that. And if you think about it, Mitrovic is going to have to play against three very, very strong defenders. And and I cannot imagine he's going to have much success in the air against the likes of Morgan, Maguire, Evans, because they love going for big physical challenges. Um, and look at the wingbacks as well. Chilwell, yep. Pereira. These are top-class players as well out wide. And I think Sassignon and Bob are going to have a tough time breaking them down. Okay, very good. All right, let's flip it. Leicester City's attack versus Fulham's defense. I have a feeling you're going to give Leicester City the advantage here too. <laughs> well, it, it's tough not to, you know, because the likes of Damari Gray, Harvey Barnes, James Madison, and Vardy, of course, these, this is just pace, right? All I can think about is the pace here. And what, what have we struggled with all season? Pacey attackers. Yep. It's so interesting because Madison, I know we talked about him last time in the Leicester match, but in the championship, in the games we played against Norwich, he looked bright, but honestly, we we totally nullified him. We handled him. We handled him, and and if anyone thought he was going to make the step up to the Premier League and and, and impress as he has done, it wouldn't be Fulham fans because he didn't show it in the match that we played. No, he didn't. Norwich. So, listen, that's kind of the example when a player can step up from the second division to, to the top flight and hit the ground running. Fair play to him, and he's such a danger as well from set pieces. He creates so well. He really is for me in kind of the mold of Tom Carey almost. He's that same type of player, um, but he's adapted, honestly, to, to the top flight much better. Yeah, definitely there, my friend. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about this battle. This one's interesting. Central midfield, who do you give the advantage to? My first thought would be you have to give it to Leicester City. But now the foam in the last match changed things up. I don't know if I would give it to Leicester City. I think Fulham's central midfield. If Scott Parker goes with the central midfield that he did to start the last match, I think we're in good shape. And even if he decided to go with Ngisa instead of McDonald, mm-hmm. I think Fulham are in good shape as well. I, I, you know, I think you can go either way on that. So before the last match against Chelsea, I would give the advantage to Leicester City. I don't know if I, if I would give it to him right now. Yeah, I was exactly going to say the, the Angisa point. Because I can very well see um, Parker starting with you know similar field, except Angisa from McDonald. And then I think it's a different story. You know, I think Kenny, first and foremost, was excellent against Chelsea. Superb. If he's playing like he did against Chelsea, then our midfield gets a massive boost. Chambers is always superb in there. So honestly, those two players are excellent. And then throwing Angisa, who... He's so inconsistent sometimes, Russ, and, and, and his touch, his decision-making, you know, his knack for dribbling out of the back into three opposition players, giving the ball away, it's infuriating. But if he can cut those silly mistakes out of his game, focus on what he did against Chelsea, which is mainly making the simple pass and driving the team forward, then Edward Field has a shout. You know, They have Tiela Mons you know, on loan for Monaco. Yep. I think one of the brightest young players. In Europe, when he was on, when he was, you know, in Belgium and, and Monaco, had some troubles this year. But again, a very talented player. Another sign of how Premier League teams are attracting really top talent. And then uh, Ndidi, who is also an excellent player, very, yep. very physical, very willing runner, can get forward, distribute. Um, honestly, though, when we played him back uh, with Ranieri, 
the midfield was kind of nullified and, and we played quite well against them. So we'll see. But I think this is probably the closest of, of the three battles. We might play them the closest midfield. We might not have the edge, but we'll run them close. Okay, very interesting. Listen, I'm going to read an excerpt from an article on this uh, SB Nation website because I find this very interesting, Max. It's from Fossey Posse. Definitely um, check this out. The article from Jack A. Lee is entitled Key Battles to Watch for Leicester City versus Fulham. So we're talking about central midfield. And this was actually the number two battle. And this is very interesting what Jack wrote. So I want to get your thoughts on it because we're talking about central midfield. He says, force them through the middle. This is what Jack A. Lee wrote. As above, Mitrovic is very important to Fulham's game plan and quite predictably so, with the majority of his chances and goals based around getting his head on the end of crosses. Everyone on the pitch will know Fulham will want to get the ball out wide and cross into him, and it will primarily be up to Ben Chilwell and Ricardo Pereira to stop that. Both are top 10 for crosses blocked this year, according to whoscore.com. When forced inside by Chelsea last week, Fulham played the ball predominantly through Tom Kearney. He's a good player, but not the creator they need to play that style of football. If Leicester can force them to try and play through the middle, they should struggle to create chances. Okay, that's from this article on Fossey Posse. What are your thoughts on that? Because I disagree with, with uh, Jack on this. Don't think he's given Tom Kearney enough credit. And I think under Scott Parker, we might see a little bit different team than he's talking about, say, under Ranieri. I know he was talking about the Chelsea match, but I think Tom Kearney is going to do a lot, and I think could can do a job against Leicester City. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think he might still be thinking about the Kearney under Ranieri instead of the Parker Kearney. Even though he mentioned the Chelsea match, yeah. that description seems to me about a different player because if anyone watched that Chelsea match, you'd see Kearney was absolutely the live wire of that team, dancing through players, making Chelsea players, creating opportunities, getting the ball out wide, just really doing everything yep. we love about Tom Kearney. It was an excellent performance. So if he plays like that, I'll actually disagree. I'll say Ben Fulham do have the creative talent they need to get chances. But he made good points about Mitch in that he loves the cross into the box. And if you look at the Brighton match, that's probably the best, op- the best right. example of how he thrives off it. But honestly, Russ, we haven't done that that much this year. Maybe it's because teams have recognized it and cut off our service, but it just hasn't really been our game plan. Even though it's pretty clear Mitrovic loves that kind of service, I guess it's because our wingers and our wingbacks just don't have that type of delivery. But we have not consistently pumped balls in the box in wide positions. You know, Mitrovic always seems to be relatively isolated, always kind of thriving off hand, half chances. Maybe that changes on the Parker, but even though, you know, the way um, the, the Leicester City analyst describes it, it seems logical that we would have played that way, but we really haven't. Right. And and what's interesting about this, because I'm thinking about the matchup here and their central midfield is strong. I'm not going to say that it's not, but I think that if you have, let's say it's McDonald and Chambers. Okay. So let's say it's McDonald and Chambers or even Angisa and Chambers. The two of them, I think, can offer a little bit of force in central midfield, and then you have the creator in Kearney. So it for me, it doesn't matter who that two combo is because I think I think those two players, whoever it is to go along with Kearney, 
I think can actually help Kearney have the ability to create where they'll be doing their things. And then it'll just be up to Kearney to do his thing. Basically everyone do their job. You know, I actually think that um, if, like I said, Fulham central midfield is either Kearney Chambers and McDonald or Kearney Chambers and Gisa, I think it's going to be very strong in this match. Maybe I'm wrong. What are your thoughts? It's tough because I think Chambers and Kearney will be excellent. The wild card is that other defensive midfielder, yeah. whether it's McDonald or Angisa, because both of them have serious deficiencies in playing in the Premier League. I know McDonald had a really good match, but at the end of the day, he's too slow. He's too slow for the pace of the modern-day top-flight football. No, and this is true. And, right. and, and, and he does a, mis- a mistake in him. You know, look back at the Bournemouth match. He has a red card in him. He launched the challenges. Same with Angisa has, has a red card in him. And he's also, although he's quicker, uh, I think probably more physical and more mobile than McDonald is, his touch lets him down sometimes. I've talked about it. His decision-making needs really, really major work because sometimes he just does things that don't look like what a professional footballer would do in that situation, which is, sure. which is maddening. That being said, when he plays in the midfield too with another defensive midfielder alongside him, he's a different player. And, and that's what gives me confidence that you know if we start him, it could be different. I, I did write him off early in the year when he turned in some really, really toxic performances. But now I'm willing to give him another chance. And, you know, I might even be being too kind to him, right? Really tipping him for big things, you know, against Leicester. But I'm pretty confident that, you know, our, our record signing, let's not forget, our 30 million pound record signing might finally come good for us. Okay, very good. All right, let's move on. Let's go to the section... The name of the show is Three Keys to Victory, and I'm going to get them from you in just a second. Before I do, let's start here. How do Leicester City win this match? How do they beat Fulham? And then we'll talk about how Fulham can beat Leicester City. I think they totally cut off Mitrovic, isolate him as much as they can, so without him we have very little attack. And then they, they run out of defense. You know, I think so many times this season we've seen our wingbacks have been found out. They play balls. Um, cutting in between the space between the center backs and the full backs to get crossed in the box, they get cut backs. That was a West Ham strategy, and it worked wonders. Chelsea also had a lot of success, you know, pumping balls down the line um, and, and cutting them back in. That's how Iguain scored. That's what they'll do. If they can get those services out wide, challenge um, our full backs and make us defend. I mean, honestly, if they can just keep us under pressure for long periods of time, then they'll succeed and they'll succeed brilliantly because we, we can't defend. And it's not very hard for them to go at us when they're playing at home. Okay. Okay, Max. It's time for your three keys to victory. As you already mentioned, Fulham's defense, can they hold up for 90-plus minutes? I'm not sure. So I'm curious what would be the three keys for you for Fulham to getting all three points at the King Power Stadium, something that they desperately need. It's tough because we've heard before in this show that it perhaps would make most sense for Fulham to sit back counterattack, soak up pressure, because that's what Leicester will struggle against. But at the end of the day, you have to go with what your own strengths are, right? And for that, number one key for me is Fulham has to attack. You have to take the match to Leicester from minute one, attack them, put them under pressure. Because we've seen all this season that Fulham are at their best when they're on the front foot, when they sustain attacking pressure. Think second half against Brighton. Think the best spells against Chelsea. We had our tails up. We had attacking possession, and we were playing other teams off the park, and we are pushing them in their own half. That's what we have to do against Leicester. Because anything else, 
sitting back, counterattacking. It's just not who this team is, and we'll be found out. So that's number one for me is attack. Okay. Um, number two, I'd say, again, it has to be get Mitrich involved. It, it seems obvious, right? But, again, when he plays well, the team plays well. If you give him chances, if you give him delivery, um, if you let him hold up the play, facilitate other players, get them in the attack, that will really work wonders. And especially when, you know, they're playing a back three, which will, I think I think they will, considering they played that in Rodgers' first match. I think the, the three center backs will really absorb a lot of Mitrovic's attention, right? So there will be spaces created by the center backs drifting inside, and Cessino and Bobble, other wingers, can get in behind. Kearney will get probably more space right in front of uh, Mitrovic, and that will just create a lot of other attacking opportunities. Um, so if Mitrovic is involved and facil- facilitating play, that's another big key for me. Oh, and number three, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think Parker has really touched on it a lot. So I think I'm going to use it here. It's just play hard. You know, don't let the game pass you by. And again, it seems obvious to say that, of course, in every football, football match player should do that. But they don't. You know, the closest match to having the Leicester away match is a Southampton match in that you travel away to the team who've shown the vulnerable at home and you simply don't show up. And there was ve- there was probably one five-minute spell in that Southampton match when we had pressure, right? We had good sustained attack and pressure and looked up for it. Apart from that, there was a serious lack of commitment. Players weren't chasing. We were second to every second ball. We weren't clearing opportunities. We got penned in our own half. There didn't seem to be any sort of leadership in the side. So that's number three for me against Leicester is play with passion. You know, get out there and do not let them push you over because too many times this season we've been pushed over by the opposition. Yep. Okay. Very good there, Max. Going back to talking about the approach from Fulham, like you said, to attack. And I agree with you. And again, this goes back to listening to the Fulhamish podcast from with uh, Pete Selby from For Fox Sake podcast, talking about that basically, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the exact quote of what he said, but he was talking about that that kind of plays into the hands to what Western City want to do because Countering with Jamie Vardy is extremely dangerous. We know how ruthless he can be. So I'm curious your thoughts on that because, again, I agree with what you're saying, but it does probably play into their hands. But I don't, I don't know if we can play any other way. We might as well play to our strength. So I think that's where you're going with this. Yeah. I mean, look, we've had this kind of debate all season, right, Russ? I remember – it was back in the Man City away game when we kind of Fulham were really vilified by the commentators for playing too open against City, not showing yeah. them enough respect. And we said then, oh, that's a fair point, all true, but if we defend him, we just get beat by just as much because we can't defend either. So yeah. the same classic dilemma is exactly, we're not really good at anything, so we might as well just do what we're kind of good at because if we do what we're bad at, we're not going to have any joy. So <laughs> if, if there's ever a time to, to go, go for it, right? I think mean, that's the Scott Parker appointment probably could best be summed up by go for it. You know, nothing okay. to lose, just go for it. And if we're going to use that mentality, you might as well attack when you're going down. You might as well go down fighting rather than sit back, play negative and get beat. That's what I call the Crystal Palace away method from Renier. <laughs> okay, very good, my friend. All right, real quick, starting 11, what would you do? I'm going to go same starting 11 with the exception of Anguissa from McDonald. I think okay. the, the, the guys who played against uh, Chelsea did, did a really decent job and really ran him close. That being said, I don't know if you've seen this tweet, but Timothy Falsimenza, 
just sent out a very interesting tweet earlier this morning saying, I want to apologize to the Fulham fans for not being able to show, to show the best me. It's been a difficult season, but I'm so grateful that you stuck by the team. This is a beautiful club, and I'll work as hard as I can to show you what I'm capable of and my appreciation. Thank you, hashtag, come on, you wise. Oh. That indicates to me that maybe <laughs> Fosu Mensa is back in it right back because I don't oh. see why I tweet that any other way. So maybe maybe if that happens, we'll see him instead of Adoy right back. Who knows? But if it was me, I'd just go with the same starting 11. That, with the exception of Ankisa for McDonald that played against Chelsea, and I don't want to see Fosu Mensa in the team right now. The last time we saw Fosu Mensa, it was horrible. <laughs> and... Um... I just it's up there with the worst substitute appearances in in in, in recent full memory. People, it was say, Crystal Palace. It was, yeah, and it was terrible. Uh, and what's so disappointing yeah. about this player is that I've seen glimpses of him being a very good player, Max. I, I've seen it, but I just don't know if uh, this is the right time to be playing Fosu Mensa. I, I just don't see it. But that's very interesting. I'm glad that you mentioned that. We're gonna have to watch that. I wasn't even thinking about him. Now you got him. On my brain, which is a little scary there, my friend, but I understand. I'm glad that you shared that. All right. Let's end this, my friend. Let's go to predictions. I'm curious your prediction. I've got one, too. You first. Oh, I'm going to say 2-1 Fulham. Why not? Why not the first away win? You know, it's the perfect time to do it. I, I just think there is a new manager bounce, if I've ever seen one, in this team right now. And... I think we're going to see that at the King Power. I think we'll get a win, which is madness to say. Most yep. likely we won't, right? We haven't won all, all season away. But come on. If there's ever a time to do it, it has to be now, right? Okay. Very good, Max. And listen, they also have the new manager bounce, which is crazy it's too. So. But they lost, the, they lost the first match too. So They no. did. They did. Both teams are coming off a loss. And uh, I understand why you went with a full victory. And uh, everything is screaming at me. I can't predict a Fulham victory. But I also have in my mind Fulham playing Leicester City the first time. And I'm just saying, this team, even though it's on the road, everything is screaming, how can I pick Fulham? Max, I'm going with you. I'm going 2-1 to to Fulham. (laughs) There we go. Come on. If you pick it enough, it'll happen. It has to happen at once, right? (laughs) Come on. Okay. Okay, well. We're going to, you know, again, we are going to force it to happen by predicting. I don't know. But anyways, um, we'll see. I actually do feel pretty good about this. I've watched Leicester City. They are up and down. They do have a new manager. So I actually see this as an opportunity. We'll see what happens. I don't think that they're a juggernaut by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're a good team. But I think Fulham can hang with them. And I think Fulham can pull off the upset. So we'll see what happens. I'm going two to one. All right. Great stuff. Max, before we go, I'll just mention one last time. You have a a new uh, article on the boot room that's going to be posting on Friday. Just tell everyone about that. Yeah, it'll be on uh, the site around 7.15 p.m. UK time. And it's just analyzing, you know, Fulham's capture of Matt Wells. And just kind of honestly laughing at Spurs because they've had two illustrious under-18s coach for the past few years. Scott Parker, of course, um, did very well with them. Uh, most famously beat Arsenal 9-0 in a league match. They were unbeaten in the, in the under-18 youth league from November to March uh, last season. So he did wonders with them. And then he went to Fulham. Now, who's his replacement? Matt Wells. What, how well did he do with them? He takes them to second league right now, with a game in hand, behind their arch rivals Arsenal. 
And where does he go? He jump ship for Fulham. So it's it's funny how we've t- taken both of their under under 18s coaches the past two seasons, and it gives me optimism for Fulham because as I saw someone put on social media, it's very unlikely Matt Wells is leaving um, his established place as the Tottenham Academy coach for a very short term deal at Fulham. Well, why would he leave just just for a couple of months for a team that seems destined for relegation? Well, maybe he really buys into Scotty Parker's belief. Or maybe Fulham really see him as a part of their long-term future. So either yeah. way, this could really indicate something about Scott Parker, something about the way the Fulham hierarchy views Scott Parker, um, and really how his fellow coaches view him. Because if he has a respect of fellow academy coaches, I think that shows he's doing a really good job at the lower levels of football, and hopefully that will translate uh, to top-flight management. Okay, excellent. And listen, Fulham have some young and up-and-coming players, so maybe that's also the thought that comes along with it. Steven Cessna, Matt O'Reilly, and uh, Harvey Elliott, there's some really good young talent. Maybe that's also part of the uh, thought process in regards to bringing in Matt Wells because he's already working with young players. Who knows? Exactly. exactly. But I don't think exactly. it can hurt, and it's a good point. Why would you take a job for just a couple months? Maybe there's uh, something else going on that we're not aware of. I'm not talking about that Scott Parker's getting the job long term. I'm just saying that maybe Matt Wells is um, – Fulham's plans for more than just a couple months. So we don't know that. I'm just speculating. I'm throwing but it or, or, Ross, you know, there have been rumors that Sessignon is attracting interest of Tottenham. So let's, we'll say, listen, Sess, if you want to go to Tottenham, we'll give you the next best thing. We'll bring the Tottenham coaches to you at Fulham, <laughs> and you'll stay here. <laughs> it's genius. Very funny there, my friend. All right, let's wrap this up. We did this very long, but it's a very good episode. But let's wrap up this episode of Cottage Talk for Max Cohen. I'm Russ Cohen. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.